Merry Christmas. Um, so Pastor Jay has been focusing for the last few weeks on the kingship of Jesus. Uh, that Jesus is not just this cute little helpless baby, right, in a manger. But he's much more than that. Yes, he did come to us. Because, you know, it's not a, he was, he was, he became one of us. He became flesh. So he did not all of a sudden, ta-da, I'm here as a fully grown adult. But he started his journey as a baby. So it definitely talks about the human, uh, humanity of Jesus, right? But that's how a lot of us, uh, even the Christians, may only simply focus on that, the, uh, the, the human nature of Jesus, but also that we have to understand that Jesus has come to us as a mighty, sovereign king of kings. So that's what he's been focusing on uh, for the last few weeks. And just to try to prepare us, right, for this time, that we may have a right uh, perspective and attitude during the Advent season. And now the Christmas is upon us. And I'm just wondering, you know, just a quick question. You know, have, you guys, have you guys ever wondered why Jesus was born when he was born? I mean, uh, I don't know, if I were God, or, you know, I just, sometimes I just like, maybe I just have too much time at hand. But I'm just wondering, like, shouldn't he or couldn't he have been born much earlier so that that would give more time to people? Maybe, if, what if, like, Jesus was, uh, Jesus was born a thousand years before he was born? Wouldn't that give more time to people to know the truth? What if, like, Jesus was born in the time of David, right after David uh, became king or something? Wouldn't that give, have given more people and more time for people to hear the gospel and come to respond? Why did he come when he came? I don't know. I don't know if you guys ever wonder like that. Um, but um, now we may wonder about the timing of his coming. But interestingly, Scripture does not make an effort to explain the timing of his coming. Rather, the focus is on the purpose of his coming. And I think we should do likewise. Instead of like kind of trying to just go down the rabbit hole and say, why? Why was it at that time, right? maybe 500 years earlier or maybe much earlier or something, couldn't he, have done, couldn't he have been born earlier, God? Right? Instead of focusing on stuff like that, think about it, spend time, ponder upon the purpose of his coming. You know, if your understanding of Christmas simply brings up an image of a nativity scene, right, that you are really missing the point of Christmas. We have to understand the purpose of his coming. You know, when God acts in history, he does it to accomplish his purpose. He has a specific purpose whenever he acts in history. Everything that he does is done according to his eternal plan at a precise moment in history. There is, uh, there is no, I don't know, uh, just roughly around this time kind of thing with God when it comes to his divine timing. And in this passage, passage that we just read, 
time, the fullness of time this passage speaks of, it's not, and therefore, so it's not some random occurrence. It was an appointed time. The fullness of time is referring to the precise time set by the Father when the promises that, that he has made are realized and fulfilled. You know, uh, so yesterday, uh, many of us uh, were at the, we, we came here right in this place for a Christmas party. And, you know, there was a lot of coordination that had to go in. Like, you know, people, had, you know, we had to, I know for many of us, it was a simply signing up for food and stuff like that. But, you know, uh, and it was, a, it was a great time, right? I, I really enjoyed the time. The food was great. So much food left over. Uh, thank you all for the bringing just uh, a lot of food. It was really yummy. And it was a great company. It was just a lot of fun just gathering together and, um, so, you know, the, the, the whole the, the, the agenda, right, for our party was, you know, just have a good meal, play a game, and also the gift exchange, right? And so those are the, the, the agenda that we had. And actually, it was the first gift exchange that I've been to where I did not see a single box of gourmet chocolate, right? I mean, because every exchange, gift exchange that I, I've been to, right, there's at least someone who'll bring a box of chocolate, like Godiva or something, right? So I was expecting that. And there were a couple like boxes that kind of looked like it was, you know, Godiva like chocolate box, but there was none of it, right? I didn't see anything that maybe come from like Costco or something, right? But the thing is, it was, it was really, it was a great time. There was no stealing. There, it was not a white elephant uh, gift exchange. So everybody just show what they had I think everybody was pretty, I was really surprised by the quality of the gifts, and it was great. But you know, if our save the date kind of events have an agenda, how much more will God's appointed time have foreordained purpose, purposes? And Paul here is saying this, the fullness of time, when the time was full, when it was the right time, he's saying that God sent forth his son with the emphasis being on his sovereign determination, times and seasons at his disposal. So when the time was right, he specifically set the time. You know, Jewish literature often speaks of the fulfillment of appointed times in history to show God's sovereign control over history, that the redemptive purpose of God would be revealed. It's not so much the timing of, timing of Christ's coming, but the purpose of his coming that truly matters to us. And here, in this passage, in terms of the purpose, Paul makes a case for sonship. So we're going to be kind of uh, looking a little bit at the doctrine of sonship. I'm just going to come back to this uh, a little later. And he says that, that we are the spiritual descendants and the offspring of Abraham and making us the heirs of promise. Just as, you know, Abraham and his descendants received the full blessing of God and the promises of God, 
Paul is saying that, that we are the offspring of Abraham, that we have become spiritual uh, descendants, that we have become the heirs of his promise. And Paul compares the fulfillment of time to the, uh, to the point where a boy attains maturity and is considered an adult. It's like bar mitzvah, maybe like 12, 13 years old, right? Uh, they just go through all that, the Jewish boys, and then they fully become, they become, you know, it's a passage to, uh, uh, to adulthood, and they become, you know, they will be considered as an adult. The child might be an heir to a fortune, but as long as he has not reached the legal age of inheritance, the guardians, the trustees, the managers are really in charge. So he's not, in that sense, not that much different from the slave. Right? That's what uh, verse 1 and 2 says. I mean that the, the, uh, that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. So as a minor, he's not that much different from the slave because even though he is the owner of everything, in what sense? What, sense how, what, what is Paul talking about? In what sense is a son, though he's a son, pretty much the same as a, as a slave? It is the possession. What he's talking about is the possession of the inheritance. When he's really young, right, Though he's a son, he's the, the owner of all the inheritance. Well, he doesn't really have access to it. Just as the slaves do not have access to the inheritance. But the, when the, the time that the father has set, when the appointed time comes, then he becomes legally uh, eligible to receive the inheritance. That's the kind of time, that's the time that is set forth by the Father. And that is what he's talking about. When the time was set by the Father, where the fullness of time has come, the Christ, God has sent forth his Son. And I think this, um, and this, you know, the child that has to wait for the appointed time, the principle is still practiced, right, in today's society too. If, if, a, if a child is left uh, with a, a fortune, right? Uh, and, but, you know, until he reaches a certain age, legal age, he really doesn't have an access, right? The trustees take care of it. So think of, like, a nine-year-old boy, right? <laughs> Having an access to a given, all of a sudden, given $3 million. What's he going to do with it? Probably he's going to buy a PS5, right? And then just tons of like, ice cream for all we know, right? He doesn't have the concept. He's not mature enough to understand the, the value of money and the possessions and how to spend it, discipline, and on all of these things. Right? Guided by a sovereign God, historical events were orchestrated to prepare for the arrival of Jesus on earth. And in the fullness of time, God's inter intervention into human history changed the world. And only God knows why, when Jesus came, was the right time. 
There is no point of like trying to pull our hair. Why then, Lord? Only God knows. But what was going on in geopolitical scene certainly helped with a quick spread of the gospel. Because, you know, at that time when Jesus came, the Greek civilization provided a language that had spread across much of the known world as the main language, the Greek. Right? Just like, you know, how it is today, the English is today, right? Everybody, it's a universal language. Anywhere you go, you speak English, and somehow you can get by, right? It was like that in, with Greek at that time. So a lot of people, even though they may not be really fluent, they were able to understand, uh, speak some, you know, Greek. So that really helped with the spread of the gospel. And the Romans had brought peace throughout their empire and built a system of roads that made land travel much quicker and safer than ever before at that time. And the Jewish messianic fervor was at its height during this time because they were under the Roman rule. So says, we need a deliverer. We need a savior. We need, we need Messiah that the, 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 the Old Testament, the Bible has been talking about. So they were just yearning for the Messiah. Right? And with this background, Jesus came when he came. Jesus was born at the right time in the right manner of a woman, a virgin birth, and with the right purpose to redeem us, to set us free. So Paul here balances his, his claims about Jesus' divine nature with his reminder of Jesus' human character. While fully God, he was fully human. So he was born as a baby, and he was born under the law, as verse 4 says. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. Right? But what does that mean, him being born under the law? It means that he was born under the law in the sense that he was obligated to fulfill the law. Because he became flesh. He became one of us because he came as a human being. He was obligated to fulfill the law. But also, it also means uh, being born under the law in the sense that he would be identified with sinners who are under the curse of the law. Because all of us went our ways. We have sinned. So we are all under the curse of the law. By Jesus being under the, uh, the, born under the law, it means that he, would, he has come so that he would also be identified with sinners. But unlike us, who are under the curse of the law, he was not under the curse of the law because he was sinless. So when uh, Paul is talking about Jesus being born under the law, he's not only talking about obligation to the law, also, that he has come to be identified, to identify, to be identified. So it's, it's for identification purpose as well. By his life and death, he has accomplished two purposes. And those are the two things that I want to focus on today. The purpose of Christmas. And the first thing is to redeem those who are under the law. Uh, yeah. 
to redeem those who were under the law. The, um, the concept of redemption, we always talk about redeemed, redemption, right? The concept of redemption comes from the institution of slavery. In both the Jewish and Greco-Roman worlds, a slave could buy his freedom. Or if he was not able to, if there was a patron or somebody, uh, there was someone else who could buy it for him by paying a redemption price to his owners. So as slaves, somehow they, he just saved up, uh, maybe he was a uh, penny, you know, penny pincher or whatever, and they, somehow he was able to have accumulate enough money, right, that he'll pay his owner, his, uh, his master, the money, right, to be set free. That's what it meant by being redeemed, redemption, right? Through his perfect, obedient life, Jesus demonstrated his unique eligibility to buy our freedom because God's currency for redemption was righteousness. It wasn't anything else. Having a lot of money was not going to buy redemption from God. If you are popular, if you are good-looking, if you are influential, none of that would buy redemption. It was a righteous life. And the scripture tells us that there was no one that was righteous because of our sin. None of us. The scripture says, not even one, none of us is, uh, was righteous. It had to be the right, righteous life. But none of us could, so we all failed. There was no way for us to, have the, to, to experience redemption. Because Jesus lived a perfect, obedient life, he was the only one that could live, uh, uh, could, uh, that was righteous in the eyes of God. And he paid the price through his death. He paid the price to release us from slavery to sin. His death set us free from the bondage to any law or religious system, offering instead salvation by faith alone. So he took upon himself the penalty of breaking God's perfect law that we all have committed, so we, the offenders, may be set free from the curse of the law because we are destined to receive the penalty of sin. But by his life, he lived a perfect, obedient life, the righteous life that God demands from each and every one of us. And by just giving up his life, offering his life on our behalf, God receives the righteous life of Christ. And now God calls each and every one of us, declares us innocent and righteous, before him. That's the reason why Jesus has come. When the fullness of time came, when the time was right, God sent forth his son. Why? To redeem us from under the, uh, to those of us who are under the law, meaning all of us. He bought us, he purchased us with his precious blood. And the second reason um, and this is something that I want to just think about a little more, is to allow the redeemed to receive adoption as sons. You know, verse 5, once again, says, to redeem 
those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. To allow the redeemed to receive adoption as sons. And here is an important theological concept of adoption. Or, again, the doctrine of sonship. Until Christ purchased us, that is, he paid, by paying the ultimate price, by taking the penalty for our sins, we could never have been acceptable to God on our own. It doesn't matter how hard we try, how hard we try to live a righteous life, because we all fell short because of our sinful nature a lot of things that we have tried to do with our best of our uh, intentions, it was never good enough because it was such a flawed uh, life. That we, the only thing that we could offer to God was imperfect, disobedient life. Right? All our trying or religious activities, like praying, attending church, and all of, this, all of these things could not bring us any closer to God. Our redemption through Christ, but God has come and offered that redemption, bought us with His blood. And our redemption through Christ goes beyond mere acceptance by God. Oftentimes, when we think about salvation, we usually think of it in terms of forgiveness of sins and regeneration, being born again, right? Being forgiven of our sins or having declared, having been declared righteous, but they're not the whole story of salvation. All, those, all these things are true. When we repent and trust in Christ, our sins are forgiven, and God declares us righteous in His eyes. But that's not the end of the story. We are ad adopted by Him. And this is an incredible, gracious act of God, if you stop and think about it. In Roman culture, a wealthy, childless, a childless man could adopt a slave youth and make the slave his child and therefore heir to maintain the family name. It was practiced. And rich people, what they would do is they would adopt young males of good character. Right? I mean, you don't, you don't want to adopt someone of questionable character or someone who is known to be rebellious. Would you do that? If you were going to adopt somebody, would you look for somebody who is like, really has a, you know, not good reputation, who is really, has a really bad character? Of course you want to look for the best character. Somebody who is relied upon, somebody who exhibits like, you know, the good work ethics, somebody who is really compliant, obedient, all of these things. You would observe him, and after careful evaluation, you would pick someone of good character. It only makes sense to do that, to, to give, give away all your wealth that you have accumulated over your lifetime. You want to make sure that you want to give him to the right person. However, unlike the accepted logical adoption practice of the day, Paul proclaims, that when God adopted us, he adopted not people of good character, but people of bad character. Isn't it true? We were the rebellious, 
defiant and sinful people. We are the ones who are kicking and screaming. If you were to just look at it, compare to like the slave youth. All of us were saying, forget you, God, right? I'm going to do my own thing. You are not my God. You are not my master. I'm going to do what I want to do. And that's who we were, every one of us. And yet, amazingly, instead of picking someone of good character, when God has adopted us, he adopted undeserving people like us of bad character. We are just rotten to, to our core, evil, defiant. And God has extended his open invitation to people like us. So if you think about it, that was an incredible gracious act of God because it only makes sense to look for somebody who is worthy to receive his inheritance, not just some kind of just a limit, uh, just money throwing, uh, throwing at them, but an eternal spiritual inheritance that God has reserved for his son, Jesus. He has adopted us. The adopted person is no longer a slave, guaranteed all legal rights to his father's property. He was not a second-class son. That person's origin or past was no longer a factor in his legal standing before his father and before the society. And that's what God the Father has done with us. We no longer have to look at our past or where we came from. And every one of us would not be proud of what we were like before we were adopted by God. But in spite of our sinful nature, in spite of our character flaws, God has adopted us as his own. When I pause and ponder upon this truth of adoption, I stand amazed. It does not grow old on me. My checkered past is gone. When God looks at us, he's not going to be, okay, I remember what, what you're like, right? I know this, I know you did that. I know the lies that you have told, all the, the shady things that you have done. I remember every one of it. No, my past is gone. And I am not a second-class son to him. Once I was an enemy of God, but now I am an adopted, beloved child of God. Not through what I have done, what can I offer to bring to the table before God and say, hey, look, look what I've done, God. I've done pretty well, wouldn't you say? Not through what I have done, but through what Christ has done on the cross on my behalf that I can stand before him and say, you are my father, daddy. The gospel, it's not just about forgiveness of sins and repent, uh, regeneration, but it also includes adoption. When we talk about adoption, we are really talking about it's emphasizing or signifying a new relationship that has begun. Regeneration is really just talking about the change in our moral character. Our disposition has changed from like self-directed to God-directed. But more than that, 
in our salvation, in our gospel, that we have a brand new relationship all over again. Once we are just like slaves, we are people of bad character. But through what Christ has done for us, now God has adopted us and says, now, from now on, you are my son, you are my daughter. You belong to me. I'm bringing you into my fold. You are my family. And I will no longer look at kind of life that you have lived in the past. What matters now is that you are my adopted son and daughter. You are mine. You belong to me. We, we, be, we have become beloved children of God through what the Son has done on our behalf. We have become children of God. We have become co-heirs with Christ. The eternal inheritance that God has, God has for his Son, Jesus. Now he says, come along, come to me, and you'll share in this inheritance. What grace, what an amazing thing that God has done for us. I remember um, talking to a parent who adopted three kids because they were not able to have their own kids. So they adopted three children, right? And how just can I, you know, and I did not uh, see one inclination, oh, man, they're not my biological kids, right? No. When, when I saw, saw them interact with kids, kids, they, it's not like they don't know, they know, right, they were adopted, and yet there was no this, you know, uncomfortableness. It was, oh, man, they're not my biological parents because they love them as if they are their own, and they have really, right, they interact with their parents because the parents accepted it. They have adopted them. They really consider them as their very own children. And when the time comes, they will inherit the parents' estate. Right? It is only natural. And they, the parents never even think twice about, oh, man, do I have to give this up? Do I have to give this up? No. They have adopted them. They're their own. They love them dearly. They will do anything for their own kids. And that's what has happened to every one of us. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, God has adopted us. What Paul is saying is you are now fully adopted sons and daughters of God. You are no ugly duckling. You are a swan. Right? Okay. I, I, I wrote this part past 2 a.m. last night. I mean, I was, um, was going to be done with my message thing around midnight, but then something just clicked in. Uh, so I, I think it, it made more sense at that time. Uh, so, right, yeah, you know, just like the ugly duckling, you know, the story, the, the tale, right? He thinks that he's a, it's an ugly duckling, right? I mean, just he's ostracized. He's, like, alienated from all these other bird groups. He was just, like, left out in a cold by himself, like, you know, being chased by, like, everything. And so, but then finally, when, when the, the winter, you know, couple winters, and then when the final spring comes, he's once again all alone by himself in the pond. 
and then being so desperate, and then he sees a swan, right? The, the group of, uh, you know, the, the whole group of like swan would just come. And so I said, finally, he was so, uh, you know, like, he was, because he's been bullied, he was alienated for much of his, uh, of his early years. So I said, you know what, I'm just gonna, if I die, I'm just gonna let these uh, beautiful swans kill me, right? He threw himself out there. And then when he sees himself in the, in the, in the, in the reflection of the water, because the swan would welcome him, and he was so, like, incredible. He, he just couldn't believe it, because all these other bird groups would all, and he, they would have such a hard time on him. And when he saw himself the ref, through the reflection of the water, he says that he was a swan this whole time, right? It made more sense at the time, last night, uh, this morning, but uh, anyways, so, to, but you know, that we are, we are, we have been accepted. We, that's who we are, right? We are children of God. We have been adopted as a children of God. We didn't read it, but you know, it's Galatians chapter 4, 6 and 7, 7, he goes on, Paul goes on to say, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Right? He says that we have, God sent the spirit of, the Holy Spirit, but the spirit is the spirit of his son. And we have received, as a children of God, we have received the spirit of his son. What does that really mean? It means our hearts, because we have the spirit of his son, we are conscious that God is our father, that he is our father, that we are his children. And because we are given the spirit of his son, now we fully recognize that we are full, heir, full heirs with Christ. God has adopted us. We have nothing to do with him. And no way of ever just becoming, joining the family of God. No way of even just coming close to sharing in the eternal and spiritual inheritance of God. Not even in our wildest dreams. By his coming, by the coming of Christ, we've been adopted. We no longer are slaves. Now we are his sons and daughters. And we say, we cry, Abba, Father. It's a term, Abba means it's a term of intimacy. It's like, Dad, Daddy, Pops, right? We can call him that. The intimacy, unhindered access to God. The God of this universe is our Father. Romans chapter 8, verse 14 through 17, it says this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Can we go to the next one? For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified 
with him. We are now, we fully share the riches, all the incredible riches of God. It's at our disposal because Christ has come to us. Why did he come? So that he would offer adoption to the redeemed, that we could be brought into his fold, that we could be called the children of God, so that we would know that we are his, so that we could call him Abba Father. We are his children, beloved children, not second class, but beloved children that God was willing to sacrifice his very own son for. May this realization settle in, sink in in our hearts during this time. I know it's a lot of people are just planning, you know, out-of-town trips, planning office parties, you know, gathering with our friends, hanging out with people, enjoying some shopping. But that's not really the reason that we celebrate. Most people celebrate Christmas because other people celebrate Christmas, have that mob mentality. But that's not us. It's because we celebrate Christmas because Christ has been given to us so that we may be adopted as, his, as the children of God. Let's pray. Let's go wait for the Lord.